like most upper limit problems that I talk about in The Big Leap, come out of fear. And the biggest fear you touched on earlier, Danette, was I'm afraid that I fundamentally don't deserve love, or I'm afraid that I fundamentally have a flaw that means I can't have the good things of life that I want. And that's always based on a false belief because nobody is born with that kind of flaw. You know, it's just stuff we learn. Welcome to Manifestable. I'm your host, Danette May, and each week I will bring you epic guests and live coaching where you can come to receive profound breakthroughs, courage to break old patterns, and live into your soul's purpose. My mission is to remind people of their power and that they have the control to tap into their energy to achieve extraordinary things. Before I introduce today's guest, I'm offering my listeners a free love visualization. Yep, this is the exact visualization I did to attract my partner, my soulmate, my love. And we've almost been married for 10 years. I used this when I was down and out, when I had got out of a really, really difficult divorce, married for 10 years. And and trust me, my trust was low. And I've helped other people attract more love in their relationship using this visualization as well as attract somebody new in their life. This is powerful. So if you want to get this free visualization, all you have to do is go to Danette Love, D-A-N-E-T-T-E, love, L-O-V-E dot com. And it's yours free. I want to give you this. So I cannot wait for today's guest. It is Gay Hendricks. Oh my gosh, if you guys have not read his book, The Big Leap, you're missing out. This book I read probably seven years ago changed my life, literally changed my life. I have recommended it to most of my coaching clients. I'm so honored to have him on. He is the world-renowned love and relationship expert, co-founder of the Hendricks Institute and author of over 40 books. Gay has been happily married and worked with his wife, Katie, for over 40 plus years. That's amazing. Together, they have trained thousands of coaches, appeared on Oprah, and hosted seminars around the globe with the mission to assist people in opening up to more creativity, love, and vitality through the power of conscious relationships and whole person learning. On this podcast today, we're going to talk about how we use our minds, how we use our energy to attract powerful, potent relationships, how we actually use any quantum energy to attract anything and his take on life because he's done some pretty remarkable things. I think he is a magnet to manifesting truly remarkable things. So I'm going to ask him some deep questions today. I cannot wait. Let's get this conversation started. Let's go. Hey, I'm so excited to chat with you because you don't know this yet, but I'm going to tell you your book, and I'm sure many people have told you this many times, The Big Leap had profound impact on me and I've used it in my coachings. I've shared your book out to probably thousands of women and I've asked them to read your book. It was just really profound at that time in my life, probably about seven years ago. I think it was seven, six or seven. I don't know. When did you write that book? Well, I always tell people it took me 30 years to write it. I mean, to think about it and one year to write it. So I wrote it, I think it was 2008. 
I uh, spent about a year writing it, and uh, I think it came out in 2009. And uh, it's one of my, in fact, I think it's my only book that is a bigger bestseller now than it was when it first came out. I mean, it was always great, but just over the past five or six years, largely because of word of mouth, such as yourself, I always say I have the best inbox in town because every day I wake up to lots of people telling me things like you just told me and sending me examples of big leaps they've made. So uh, I'm delighted. I never get tired of hearing those things. Yeah, it was really cool. I was just interviewing an epic guest on the last, um, just before you came on. And I was like, hey, I'm sorry, I can't chat. I have another person coming on. I don't know if you've heard of him. He wrote The Big Leap. And she's like, I'm reading it right now. It's what got me out of my old business and jumping into this new thing. And I was like, sounds about right. (laughs) So I just love that you said that it took 30 years. You know, I've written books. I do believe in this idea that we are just creators doing stuff that our hearts are asking us to do. It's not up to us to decide how big or small we want to label its impact because you just don't know when the impact is going to really, really trickle out. And right now, humanity is really receiving this. And it's a it's a beautiful time to receive this. But you did mention 30 years of a lot of time, I imagine, sitting on a lot of research and your own deep dives into your own leaps. And so I want to ask you, because I'm not like your normal podcaster. I'm going to ask you your story and like, take me back. I want to know what is one of the biggest leaps you've made in your life, would you say was one of those defining moments? I would say there have been three or four really big ones that catapulted me. The first one that comes to mind actually happened within a year or two of me beginning to figure out how the upper limit problem and the genius zone worked. Like many people, I'd had my share of relationship disasters in my teens and up into my 20s and even in my early 30s. But when I was 34, I met a woman and I had about a 20-second big leap conversation with her that changed my life profoundly. I met my wife, Kathleen, now Kathleen Hendricks, Katie, we call her here in the house. You're welcome to call her Katie also. So I met her in 1980. And I had just begun to think about big leaps and things like that. And when I saw her, I thought, this is the ultimate woman right here. Look no further. You know, the search is over. You felt that immediately. I felt that immediately, just the way she looked and the kind of the aura she gave off. I mean, I don't really see auras, but just the feeling of her was so, it was like she was made of pure love. That was the impression I got. And that was from across the room. And then when I talked to her, that feeling got even more. And so out of the blue, I just said, I'd never said anything like this before in my life to any other person. I said, you know, I know I've only just met you a moment ago, but I'm incredibly attracted to you. And I don't know if I'm never going to see you again after today, or we're going to spend our whole lives together. But I I just want to tell you that I want to be in a relationship where both people are absolutely honest with each other and both people take responsibility for themselves so that there's not a whole bunch of blame going on all the time, where if something comes up, both people take responsibility rather than fighting over whose fault it is. And I also want a relationship where both people are passionately committed to their creativity because all those three things are things where I've made huge mistakes before that have messed up my relationships. And so 
on those terms, would you like to go have a cup of coffee with me? And it took her about 15 seconds. That is a huge leap. Can I just say, I've never heard of a story where someone just lays it out so honest, so real. Of course, people have gone up to women and been like, or men and said, I think you're beautiful. I love your energy. I would love to get to know you more. But you were like, no, these are my parameters around a relationship if we proceed forward. And <laughs> yeah. does that sound exciting to you? <laughs> and That's fortunately, amazing. after about 15 seconds, she came back to me with, well, how about lunch instead of just coffee? And so she took it one step further, see, and you know that old saying, the rest is history? Well, that was it for me. You know, like once I met Katie, I just, and to this day, 43 years later now, we're just starting our 43rd year. And uh, to this day, I just feel blown away like the luckiest man in the world that I get to be married to her. And so that's, I'd say, as far as the quality of my life on a daily basis, that's the biggest leap I've ever made. But I'll tell you an earlier leap that probably led me to writing the big leap was, you don't look like a kind of person that's ever struggled with her weight, but there was a time when I was very overweight about 50 years ago. And I'd grown up, I was an obese kid. And uh, they later on, they found all sorts of problems with my glandular and my pituitary and all that. And But that wasn't known when I was a kid. So I was just sort of the basic fat kid. So, but when I got to, when I was 24, I realized that I had always, you know, like doctors had given me diets and doctors had put me on amphetamine diet pills for a while, which jazzed me up, but ultimately I gained the weight back. And, you know, I'd done all the things you were supposed to do to try to lose weight. And so on this one particular day, I said, I'm just going to take on the job for myself instead of trusting anybody else. And my solution, one of them was to start eating only things that I'd never eaten before. Things that, you know, like fruits and vegetables that I'd never tasted. And at the time I had a horrible diet. You know, I lived on cheeseburgers and French fries and I lived in New England at the time. I lived on fried clams and all these terrible things, you know, that they tell you not to eat nowadays. And I just ate them all. And But I started eating, took a leap into just eating fruits and vegetables and proteins that I'd never had before. And within a month, I lost about 35 pounds, just effortlessly. It just kind of fell off me. And I was feeling so great. And I was walking down the street in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and I was just feeling on top of the world. And I looked in the window and there was an ice cream shop. And I saw this family eating this huge banana split with a bunch of different kinds of ice creams and sauces. And I just, I couldn't stop. I just went in there and I ordered one of them and I ate it. And for about 20 minutes, I felt like the king of the world when all that sugar was pouring through me. Russian. But then yeah. 20 minutes later, I got the worst stomach ache of my life. I mean, I literally doubled over on the street. I was walking, you know, blocks away after I had the, the ice cream. I doubled over on the street because I, I couldn't move. I was having such a bad stomach ache. And somebody even asked me, are you okay, sir? Are you okay? And if I'd been honest, I would say, no, I wasn't okay. But I said, yeah, I'll be all right. But so I asked myself, why did I do that? You know, it was like I went into a trance and that was my first realization. Oh, 
I've got an upper limit problem on how good I let myself feel. I'd let myself feel good for a month, and then apparently that was all I could handle because, whomp, I just made myself feel miserable. And what happened was it literally took me several days before I could get that bad feeling out of my body because I had you know, toxed out my body after a month with no sugar or fat or anything like that. I had just dumped in a load of toxins on it. So it literally took me days to kind of get that out of my body. But I never really made that mistake to that extent again. I saw the urge come up from time to time. But when it would come up, I would just reaffirm my commitment to taking responsibility for having my own healthy weight. To make a long story short, it took me a year of doing that, but I lost more than 100 pounds and got to be a good weight. And to this day, you know, right now I weigh about 180 pounds. I'm a six footer. So, you know, if you saw me standing up, you'd say, hey, there's a, an athletic looking old guy rather yeah, than just looking yeah. like an old guy. <laughs> that's incredible. You know, that's the thing is, you know, this podcast called Manifestable, and I really want to break down simply for people to understand their power and understand the way the mind works. And I feel like you just shared two beautiful examples of not only just the big leap part, but this part around why do we make certain choices? And a lot of it boils down to Am I deserving? How good can I take it? Can I take how good this is? And so I want to ask you because you've actually attracted some pretty powerful things outside of writing a book, an amazing partner, which I believe this partner thing is something a lot of people are looking to attract because it's so much deeper. And I want to hear your feedback on that first before I go into my second question, because partnership is so much it, there's a fun, there's a line there. It's not just about this love exchange, but it also can be a muse and can lead you into these deep celebratory moments in our lives when we're, when we're linked with someone who really can hold that frequency with us. So I want to ask you a little bit about that. What's your thoughts around these partnerships that people get into? Because from my standpoint, it's, you know, you're either with someone who's taking you closer to soul expression or someone who's distracting and so I want to hear from you on that. Well, that gets into a big issue, uh, Danette, about how well your picker is functioning, for, for starters. I mean, mo most of us come into relationship with a pretty damaged picker that's based on old wounds we've experienced or old learnings. Like, I had to unlearn a lot of the stuff I learned in my early family of origin in order to have a successful relationship. Because, like, when I was growing up, nobody ever talked about their feelings. I mean, it was like, it was another world. And once I got into relationship, you know, one woman after the other kept saying, like, you never say anything about yourself, you know? And I would say, well, what do you mean? What are you talking about? And they would say, well, you never share your feelings. And that sounded like, I mean, it sounded like a foreign language to me. I, I remember just being very frustrated. How would I do that? You know, what would I say? Because I didn't know enough about myself to know what I was angry about or sad about or scared about. It was only after I, I kind of made a decision to start looking inward when I started losing all that weight. But I'd, I'd avoided that up until I was in my 20s. So I think that's just one thing that a lot of us have a prohibition against doing the things that would actually make relationship work. But here's the thing. The reason relationship is such a challenge is because the moment you get into a relationship, you can't hold on to your old programming 
any longer. You start to act it out and it doesn't work very well. It creates conflict. It creates problems. And unless you do something to transcend that or make a big leap out of that space, you just keep recycling the same old problems to the point where, like right now, for example, the average length of a committed marriage or committed relationship is, I think, under five years, maybe closer to four years now, because I think a lot of times people just get to the point where they have to look at their stuff and then they change partners so they don't have to look at that. But the reason relationship has so much power to enlighten us is because of that very thing that the moment you get in there, you have to put all your old programming up into the light and say, is that going to work in this relationship? And like I said, I found that a lot of my early program programming just didn't work very well. I remember, by the way, another big leap that happened about a year into my relationship with Katie. So I have to ask you guys, can I share something a little vulnerable with you? You probably know by now that I'm a health expert, fitness professional, that I've coached thousands of people to living a healthier life. But the truth is sometimes I don't get enough vegetables and greens in my day. Yeah, I even struggle with this, you guys. And I know the power of superfoods with greens and micronutrients. But here's the deal. I live a busy life just like you. And not all the time do I want to eat a big salad with wheatgrass in it and micronutrients and probiotics and all the things that actually are really great for my body. But most green juices on the market are disgusting. They literally taste like licking the bottom of a lawnmower, let alone getting my kids to drink is just not going to happen. So I set out to try to make the best green juice on the market. One that's packed with actually all the nutrients. It's not watered down. It's organic, has all your trace minerals, it has your probiotic and all your superfood greens like spirulina, wheatgrass, all your fruits and vegetables in one serving. But the biggest key here is it needed to taste amazing. And I'm so happy to tell you, we created Island Bliss. And the reason it is called Island Bliss is because it tastes like you're sipping an Island Bliss drink on a beach. I'm not even joking. This tastes like orange dreamsicle. It is so delicious, but it has all of your vegetables, all of your fruit servings, your probiotics, your superfoods, and your trace minerals in one serving. It tastes so good. Kids will drink it just with water. I throw it in just plain water and ice. I sometimes throw it in my smoothies. It is super simple, super delicious. And right now for all of you, this is a one-time order here. What you can do is you can get your Island Bliss by going to earthechofoods.com. So like I said, go to earthechofoods, E-A-R-T-H, echo, E-C-H-O, foods.com and use the code MANIFESTABLE manifestable for 15% off your order at checkout. This is a huge discount. Trust me, you're going to love it. You're going to absolutely be amazed at the taste. You're going to get all of your superfoods in. Now I don't miss a beat. I take this traveling with me everywhere. It is so delicious. I actually find that it helps me not snack on sugary things because it is kind of naturally sweet. It's so good. So it actually helps me with my health goals. So I promise you, your body's going to thank me. So go ahead and go to earthechofoods.com at the checkout. Use the word manifestival, M-A-N-I-F-E-S-T-I-V-A-L, manifestival for 15% off your order at checkout. I love you guys. And I hadn't discovered all, all this stuff yet. And there was this moment though, where I was 
criticizing her for something. And we used to have a kind of a critical relationship early on. I come from a super critical family. She does too. And, you know, we were always, yeah, yeah, yeah. And one day I was in the midst of criticizing. She'd come home late or something like that. And I, and I realized as I was speaking to her, I sounded irritated. My voice sounded irritated. But what I was actually feeling in my belly was fear. And I just blurted that out. I said, you know, I'm hearing my kind of whiny, critical tone of voice. But what I'm really feeling is scared right now. And I remember the look on her face just changed, you know, instead of that, like she was getting criticized to, oh, what's that about? And because I'd gone to a level of vulnerability that I'd never gone to before. And I said, well, I don't know. Let me just stop and feel it for a moment. So I can actually remember where I was standing when I had this realization and she was standing there and I suddenly realized, I'm afraid you're going to leave me. And her eyes popped open and said, wow, why? And I said to her, you know, I don't think it has anything to do with you now that I really tune into it. I think it's about abandonment stuff that I had when I was a year old that I'm kind of projecting onto you. And boy, that was a huge moment because I went from thinking the problem was out there in her like she was late. <laughs> and then I shifted and realized, oh, that has nothing to do with it. I'm afraid she's going to leave me someday. So I've got to criticize her to push her away so it won't hurt so bad. Boy, that really changed my life, that one little realization. Because as soon as I got used to just naming my feelings when they came up, like I'm angry or I'm, I feel sad right now or I feel scared. Scared was the big one, though, because I grew up at a time when big boys weren't supposed to cry and big boys weren't and supposed to- And not be scared. Not be yeah. scared, for sure. And I can even remember one time when I was a kid, I got hit in the face, in the forehead with a baseball on the baseball field that was across the street from our house. And my brother happened to be playing at the same time, my brother, who's eight years older. And I remember I burst into tears because it hurt and kind of went down on my knees. And my brother came over and helped me up and helped me off the field. But I remember him saying, don't cry, don't cry, don't cry. You know, you know, sh 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 uh, don't let him know you're hurt. That was the idea. And that's a bind to put people in, you know, to always be feeling something, but not being allowed to say it. And so I had a lot of that to overcome. I think it's probably different now. You know, I think people get... I know there are courses in high school and college and things like that now on how to communicate when you're in conflict, but that sure wasn't happening. You know, like when I was figuring all this stuff out, there was no such thing as a self-help book. So I had to kind of write my own self-help book, which turned out to be a great thing, but there was no place you could go. There was no internet where you could say, how can I get out of an argument I'm stuck in? You know, so I'm kind of glad I did it myself, but uh, nowadays you can save yourself a lot of time. You mentioned that you said that you you did a lot of because you were talking about relationship. You said I did a lot of work prior to that meeting of Katie. And I think a lot of people are going to be like, well, what was that? What did you and I know there's a whole slew of tools and things that you could probably mention. But if you could mention one or two to someone listening, because they might listen and go, yeah, I recognize where I'm in relationship and I pick fights and where why am I picking these fights? Or I would like to be in relationship with somebody, but 
how do I know my picker's not off? And how do I make sure that I'm not picking from my wounding? Can you get like one or two things that you would highly recommend that they could start at? Yes. I'll start with the toughest one first. The results you produce in your close relationships tell you what your true intentions are. So if you create an argument every three days, you just have to get humble and, and say, hmm, why on earth would I create an argument every three days? That's powerful. Why on earth would I create the argument? Not why are they creating the argument? Why am I creating the argument? That's yeah, there's no magic in finding out why the other person's at fault. That just digs the thing deeply. See, what happens is all arguments between couples involve a race to occupy the victim position. So one person jumps into the victim position and says, I'm mad, you're doing X, Y, and Z, and if you just quit doing X, Y, and Z, I wouldn't be mad. Then the other person says, whoa, wait just a minute. I'm mad. You're the one that's doing it. If you wouldn't do da-da-da, well, then you get into a, a loop, a blaming loop, just goes around and around like a dog chasing its own tail until somebody has the courage, and it does take courage, to stand up and say, okay, hmm, why would I have created this situation? Now, Danette, what you're looking for is a partner that will then go, oh, yeah, hmm, let me look into why I might be creating this situation. If you have two people, that's what we call co-creativity. You have two people who are willing to say, oh, I see why I created this conflict rather than blame. If you don't do that, though, you just keep going round and round and round. And I've literally, I, I was just glanced over at the door to my office there, and I realized one couple entered that door some years ago, and they had been literally stuck in that same pattern for the 29 years of their marriage. They got into a blame game when they're on their honeymoon, literally, and we're continuing it 29 later, years later, after four kids, two or three houses, good jobs, everything like that. They were still making themselves miserable every week. You know, and it's really amazing that people will put up with that in a relationship where they wouldn't put up. Let's say you walk down a certain street every week and a brick fell on your head. It, you wouldn't keep walking down that street for 29 years. You'd find a different way to go. and But for some reason in relationship, conflict can become an addiction. As a matter of fact, we've worked with uh, coming up on 5,000 couples now in our office or in our seminars. And I'd say one of the troublesome patterns is that a lot of times get into having to create conflict in order to make up and have good sex. Creating stir in the pot, creating the drama so you have something to fix and to celebrate. <laughs> yeah, we, we call that having a wargasm, not an orgasm. And uh, if you have to fight to get your orgasm, that's a wargasm. And so what we've found can happen is that once people start communicating what we call the microscopic truth, that's truth with no blame attached to it. Like if I said to you, Danette, I feel scared right now. Or Danette, I feel sad right now. Or I'm feeling angry right now. I'm not blaming you for that. 
I'm just labeling something that I'm not feeling. And that's why we call it a microscopic feeling. Because when you're looking through the microscope, you just see the thing. You don't have to think about what's blaming the thing or causing the thing. So first of all, just feel what you're feeling. And that, I have a little algorithm that we use, see, feel, love. And if your listeners and viewers are after a, a convenient algorithm to remember, see the pattern, notice how you're feeling underneath, and then love yourself for feeling that feeling. See it, feel it, love it. Notice I'm not saying, see it, feel it, find somebody to blame. You know, that's oftentimes what people do is, I'm feeling mad, whose fault is that? You know, and they start looking around. Well, you know, in a, on occasion, like, you know, if somebody steps on your foot in an elevator or something like that, you can say, oh, yeah, there is the cause of my pain. Please remove your foot. But in actual love relationships, it doesn't work like that very often because both people are in an interlock. And so one of the biggest leaps any human being can ever make is going from that kind of gotcha move of, ha, I gotcha, you know, I know what what your problem is, to, hmm, why did I create this situation? Hmm, of all the possibilities right now, why would I be creating that one? That has a useful insight to it because it begins to anchor and, and let you know that the feeling is in you, that the other person literally didn't cause it. They may have said something that provoked your feeling, but your feeling comes out of your own psychology and your own way of being in life. Wow, that's really cool. I love that. When you see it, then you feel it and you love it. And the quickest way to know how you're feeling is to look at what's triggering you. Let's creating these emotions in you and you can see, okay, that that pattern, that behavior, okay, what am I feeling? And I love that you're saying that. What am I feeling? Because then you can just drop in and go, oh, I'm feeling this. And I love myself for that. And I love, I love myself even regarding this feeling. And why would I create this. Yeah, because usually because you're scared about something. Like most upper limit problems that I talk about in The Big Leap come out of fear. And the biggest fear you touched on earlier, Danette, was I'm afraid that I fundamentally don't deserve love. Or I'm afraid that I fundamentally have a flaw that means I can't have the good things of life that I want. And that's always based on a false belief because nobody is born with that kind of flaw. You know, it's just stuff we learn. You know, when I've talked to people like, I've asked thousands of people, what do you consider your flaw to be? And sometimes it's, I did something a long time ago that's unforgivable. Okay. That's one we, we often convict ourselves of a crime and then hold ourselves as a hostage for the rest of our lives. A second one is, I'm afraid of outshining other people. So if I start to shine, I find some way of pulling back so that I don't shine more than the others. Because that's based on a false belief that if I let my full self shine, it'll make other people feel bad. Or it'll dim their light. And I'm here to say it doesn't work that way. It'll inspire other people. So it's one of those fears that often comes up. But they're all imaginary. None of them have any validity to them. And at some point, you just have to take that leap to expressing your creativity, expressing your genius in some way 
and allowing that to be okay to be rewarded and to have that be fulfilling. And you don't have to do it all in one day. You know, it took me years to figure out this stuff. So be patient with yourself. Don't don't expect you're going to go from to full genius overnight. It's just like going to the gym. You know, nobody goes to the gym once a year and does 500 chin-ups for the year. You you do them 50 at a time, and then you get strong that way. I say that I'm not able to do a single chin-up. <laughs> I'm working on it, though. No, I love that you're saying this because I think people, we can get into this comparison game or we can feel like, oh, I understand this or I feel like I understand this. Why am I not good at it? You have to understand that you're deprogramming and this is a process and to love yourself through the process. There's nothing wrong. This is just this human journey we get to explore and, and go through. I want to ask you because obviously you've written, I read this anyway, that you've written like 40 books, if I heard that right, which is incredible. And one of my favorite books, literally if someone were to ask me and people have on podcasts, what's one of your best books you've read. It, I have said many times, The Big Leap. So that's your book. And that's one of my books. I want to ask you because I can see all these books behind you in your studio. What is one book has, that's really impacted you on your journey? I'll tell you one that's kind of hard to find. It's by a, a guy named Thaddeus Golas, G-O-L-A-S. And it's called The Lazy Man's Guide to Enlightenment. And I picked that up. It was next to a cash register in 1970 or 71 in Palo Alto, California. When I was a grad student at Stanford, I was in a bookstore and I saw this little book called The Lazy Man's to uh, Guide to Enlightenment. And a little tiny book is probably 80 pages long. And I said, what an unusual title for start. And I picked it up and just read the first page and it just popped my cork. It was had so much useful information just in one page. I've probably given away, I don't know how many hundreds of copies of that book. And I became friends with Thaddeus before he he passed away some years ago. But I encourage people to go look that up. I think you can even maybe find free copies of it online somewhere. Now it's probably uh, like the copyright's probably over now because it's been 50 some years since he wrote it. But it's all about how to let yourself expand in every moment rather than contracting, how to allow yourself to love more in every moment. He's the first person I know of that makes this point about something will persist until you love it as it is. And once you stop judging it and just accept and love it like it is, then it has space to change. And I found that to be absolutely true in my own life. And of course, I use that principle in my own book, like Learning to Love Yourself was uh, one of my first books. And I actually dedicated that to uh, Thaddeus Golas, who uh, who uh, inspired me to write it. So that'd be one. Another one would be, uh, another one would be Freedom from the Known, K-N-O-W-N, Freedom from the Known by J. Krishnamurti. Indian philosopher, J. Krishnamurti. And uh, look up both of those. They have a lot to do with how I originally developed my my own way of being in the world. And both of them are very useful, I think, in leading a conscious life. Oh my gosh. Thank you for this. All right. One more question. I was supposed to stop at this point, but now I'm just like, wow. Okay, you guys, if you want me to have him back on, because I have so many questions. He's been on Oprah. Like he's created so much impact. I want to ask how much do you feel like living into this life of 
your genius, expanding. I love this idea of expansion versus contraction. I've been really studying this idea of these contractions of thoughts that we get because feelings come from thoughts. So then we contract and then we're not in the full expansion. And when we can love, we can get into expansion. So I love that you brought that up. How much do you feel like this expansion in your life or this choosing to love has impacted what you've created? That means people actually reading your book, you meeting certain people, you living where you want to live, the family life you have. You know, I think it's created all of it because if I greet every moment as an opportunity to love myself and people more, to me, that's a great background stance to take toward life because it means like you're not going to be turning down opportunities all the time that increase the amount of love in your life. You know, like things like becoming rich and famous or being on Oprah or something like that, you know, those things never occurred to me in the beginning. It was all about can I find this thing that's changed my own life and find a way to express it that helps other people? That was what my goal was. And I just kept my focus on there. And, uh, you know, 40 years, I, I think I'm actually getting closer to 50 books now this year when another couple come out. So, uh, but but that's been the whole process. I've never written a word, you know, that I didn't love to be writing. And so, to me, it's all an expression of love. Katie and I have even co-authored a dozen books together. And if you really want to test out your relationship, write a book with your partner. You know? <laughs> Writing a book with yourself is hard enough. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I, I jumped, I, I, when I wrote my books, I was bumping against so much conditioning, so much storyline, making like, it was such a good therapy for me. So I can't imagine doing it with a partner. That's amazing. <laughs> it's a real challenge, but I can tell you that Katie and I have uh, co-authored a dozen books without ever a crossword between us. So um, uh, it can be done. You probably did the work and then wrote the books together. <laughs> yeah. And by the way, I'm happy yeah. to, I know we're short of time, but I'm, I'm happy to come back for another half an hour sometime. Just, uh, uh, let my team know, and I'd be happy to. Uh, I'm. I'll get up any time of the day or night to have a conversation like this. Oh my gosh, I am super inspired by you because, literally, you're someone who could say, "I've done a lot, and I've lived this amazing life. I'm not. I don't need to go on a podcast with some girl I haven't met before." And you are showing up and you are serving full-hearted. You are a ray of light and you have impacted my life and you've impacted so many others. So I want to say thank you. And for those of you who want to have him back, please just tag us both and share this episode out. And that lets us know, lets my producers know they want him back so we can go even deeper in these concepts because there's so much knowledge here that he's willing to share. So thank you so much. And I hope you have a beautiful day. And thanks for everybody listening in right now. We really appreciate your time as well. Thanks. Great being with you, Dennett. 